Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Chumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to Chumbacasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The only daily Premier League podcast. This is Football Social Daily. It's Arsenal versus Spurs in the Premier League this weekend, but will it be Mikel or Mourinho who comes out on top? Managerless Sheffield United begin life without sacked Chris Wilder at Leicester City as the Foxes look to maintain their top four berth. And top four is the aim for both Manchester United and West Ham as David Moyes visits his former employers looking to make history with his Hammers side this season. Not only that, but are Brighton on the brink of dropping into the bottom three and can Fulham do the unthinkable against Manchester City? Plenty of Premier League action to look forward to this weekend and we'll discuss the lot right here. This is Football Social Daily, the Premier League podcast with a new show every single day of the season. I'm Niall McCorn and joining me today to look ahead to the weekend's affairs, we have Tyrone Marshall, senior football writer at the Manchester Evening News. How's things, Ty? Uh, yes, very good, Niall. Thank you. Happy days. And Jay Motti from Stretford Paddock is also with us. How are you, Jay? Yeah, I'm good, mate. All good. Nice one. Right, let's crack on with this week's preview show. There's some big games taking place in the Premier League, the biggest of which takes place in North London at the Emirates. Arsenal versus Tottenham. Of course, it's the North London derby. This is a 4.30pm kickoff on Sunday. Considering both sides won in the Europa League midweek, I think this is a tough one to call in terms of who are favourites going into it especially when you look at the landscape of the Premier League as well. Arsenal have been extremely patchy this campaign. I think that's probably, you know, encapsulated in the fact that they're 10th, smack bang in the middle of the table, while Spurs have only recently returned to form after a dreadful spell of about six weeks under Jose Mourinho and only recently have they started to, to pick things back up again. So who are you fancying in this one first off? Yeah, you're right. I mean, neither team is sort of tearing up trees and the, the table reflects that when you've got 7th versus 10th. I mean, it's, it's, so that tells its own story, doesn't it? This isn't too fantastic football. But it's a North teams, London derby, Jay. <laughs> and maybe it's quite fitting that it's for mid-table dominance. Um, <laughs> but just off recent games, I'm not seeing a lot of both teams, but from what I've seen of, of either of them, I think Spurs are looking like they're getting their act together a little bit more than, than Arsenal. Mm. Arsenal are very up and down. They've been like that for most of the season. And, and Spurs had a sort of, they had a decent run 
towards the beginning of the season, didn't they? Or at the beginning of the season, sorry, which I know only too well about as a Manchester United fan. We won't need to go into that one. Mm. Um, and then they had a sort of the tail off and it looked like maybe Jose Mourinho was doing what Jose Mourinho can do, um, imploding and falling out with everyone and questioning players and their commitment and all that sort of stuff. But for Spurs to have any chance of doing well this season, you felt the likes of Harry Kane, uh, Humming Son, and maybe even Gareth Bale would need to play their part. And mm. certainly of, of late, that's what's been happening. Gareth Bale looks rejuvenated. There was a big question mark over whether he even cared about football anymore and whether this wasn't just a bit of a, yeah. you know, an ego signing for, for Spurs of like, oh, look, we can still sign big players and Bale's coming home and, you know, it was going to sort of end in disaster. <laughs> but no, he started playing well recently. Harry Kane is managing to stay fit because as long as he's fit, there's not an issue there. He's always going to get your goals. The only question mark is whether he's fit or not. So mm. because of that, because of the likes of Bale and, and Kane, I wouldn't say hitting top four, but certainly look well. In fact, with Kane, I think he has looked as good as he's, he's looked in a long time recently. I think so, looking not just the goals he scored, but the, the nature of him, the mm. way he's took them. I mean, there've been some superb finishes. So because of that, and the fact that Arsenal are still a little bit patchy, I think they've won two out of the last five games in the league. I'm gonna I'm gonna shade this one slightly for Spurs, but I mean, it depends which team turns up, doesn't it? The reason they're in seventh and tenth is because they're not terrible. Obviously, they can still mm. beat teams. But they're so inconsistent, that's why they're in the league positions they are. So, yeah. you know, if Bale and Kane turn up, then you'd fancy Tottenham. But then on, on the flip side of that, you know, if someone like uh, Aubameyang turns mm. up for Arsenal, then you think that they can do the job as well. But yeah, I'm just going to just slightly shade Spurs for this one. I think I'd be inclined to agree with you there, Jay. I think what we've seen from Spurs in the last two or three games has been better than what we've seen from Arsenal. And therefore, you probably fancy Tottenham slightly more than you would the Gunners. And he's got a point, hasn't he, Ty? I mean, Gareth Bale, Son, Kane, even Lucas Moura, that sort of front four, if you like, they're all finding form and it feels like a really good time for that to to happen, particularly with a derby on the horizon this weekend. And with 10 games to go in the season, do you still think top four is a little bit too much to ask for Spurs, even though they are hitting form at seemingly the right time? Not necessarily, but I suppose the problem they've got is that that you know they've, they've probably dropped too much ground to Chelsea over the last few weeks. Chelsea have been excellent under, under Thomas Tuchel and have got a bit of a cushion there. You know, and it, it feels like they're getting safer and safer in in top four at, at the moment. I mean, maybe Leicester are vulnerable. Leicester have got a hell of a lot of injuries. They're mm. they're not in great form. So perhaps Tottenham should be looking at, at Leicester. But I think they'd need to win seven, maybe eight of their their final games to get there. Um, they are hitting top form at the right time. It's great to see Gareth Bale back to, to scoring goals and. And looking like the, the footballer we, we know he is, you know, his time at Madrid was, mm. especially the final few years, was just a complete waste of, of an exceptional footballer. So it's great to see him back. And that front three, if they are now getting the best out of Bale, that front three is brilliant. And it, it takes it takes the pressure off Son and Kane and also gives defences something else to think about. Mm. You know, with Tottenham, all of Tottenham's goals, or so many of Tottenham's goals have come through Son and Kane, but... If you throw Bale into the mix as well and ask the fences to mark him, then it's only going to help the other two in terms of giving them more space. And they go from the the Harry Kane and the Son team to the Harry Kane, Son and Gareth Bale team, and it yeah. you know it gives it gives defences a lot more to worry about. So I think that'll be encouraging for Mourinho. I would probably say Tottenham just about as well, but mm. it still feels like we don't really know what they're going to be under under Mourinho. They've not had the implosion that his his spells often do, but mm. they've not exactly looked like they're going to go and, and win win trophies either at the moment. I think Gareth Bale's an interesting case study, and it's one we've kind of spoken about on the podcast before. 
where, you know, what's it taking him six months to readjust back to life in the Premier League? So imagine if you're someone like Werner or Havertz, who've come from a foreign country into a new league somewhere where you haven't played before. I mean, it's going to be difficult for people to adapt, especially in the current climate with lockdowns and, and the pandemic still rumbling on and stuff like that. So if it's taken someone as experienced and as quality as Gareth Bale to take that long to adjust back to life in the Premier League, then, you know, you can probably expect it to take as long, if not longer, for some of the other talent that has come over to the Premier League um, in recent transfer windows. I'll tell you what, one of those talents, Jay, is Martin Erdegaard, who plays for Arsenal. He's on loan at the moment from Real Madrid. Scored a great goal on Thursday versus Olympiacos in the Europa League. How impressive is he for you? How good do you think he could be? Because I really like the look of him. Yeah, I mean, you're right. You know, he did well against Olympiacos. And we know that he's a phenomenal talent. Obviously, you know, very young player, sort of broke onto the scene at a young age and was impressing everyone. And that's why he's had the moves that he's had. But I saw him... I think it was the other week against Burnley, and I think he ended up getting subbed. Um, where it was, he had a bit of a quieter game, and I think that one thing that you, you ha- Arsenal fans are going to have to be, and they're not exactly renowned for it, but they're going to have to maybe try and be a little bit patient with him mm. because I know he's not going to be a long term. But you know, like you just said, then you pointed out how it can take you know players coming into a different league from a different country a little while to get going, yeah. a little while to get used to the Premier League. Um, because you know it is one of the most fast-paced leagues out there. It's a very, very physical league in comparison to other other countries, and sometimes that can take a little while. And I think Odegaard, you've seen the glimpses of his his ability and his skill. I don't think mm. we've seen it sort of consistently in the Premier League since he's arrived at the Emirates. But you can take a lot of comfort from that Olympiacos performance, and maybe sort of take that into this game. And then, listen, if he has a good game against Spurs, he'll be an instant hero, or he'll be yeah. a hero to the Arsenal fans, and that could help him in a Premier League kick on because. I still get the feeling with him, the best is yet to come for him for Arsenal in the Premier League. I think mm-hmm. there is a player there who can play a big part from this season. I just don't think we've quite seen it yet. Do you think that's the case for most of Arsenal's signings this season, Ty? I mean, I'm thinking of Thomas Partey. I don't think I feel like I've seen enough from him either since he arrived in North London. Yeah, I think that's probably fair enough, certainly. You know, there was a, there was a lot of excitement about Partey when he arrived. They paid their, you know, they paid the release clause for Atletico Madrid, which shows how highly Arsenal valued him. But... We haven't seen the best of him considering the type of player we know he is and how destructive he can be and also creative he can be. And, you know, we haven't seen the best of him. It, it still feels a bit like Arsenal are finding out what they are under Arteta. They're, you know, they're, they're two steps forward, two steps back. They're not making great progress. And I'm sure that's affecting the new signings. And, you know, your point before was, was a very valid one. And I think this is, this is the case for a lot of players that this has mm-hmm. been a season where it's, you know, it's so hard to settle into a new team. You, you know they've had no pre-season. A lot of these players have been signed late in the window. Teams are playing every every three four days. All your training sessions are either recovery mm. or the day before the next game when it's a light session looking at set pieces. There's there's very little tactical work going on the training ground, which mm. is when you really bed these ideas into new signings. So I think they're finding their feet during games. And I think people like Party and the mm. two you mentioned at Chelsea, Van der Beek at United. I think these players will be a lot, lot better for having a full pre-season and a bit mm. more time on the training ground doing actual, you know, tactical work and, and work on the, the philosophy rather than just, this is where you need to be for set pieces, this is yeah. what Thomas Suchek's going to do at the weekend and, and that kind of thing. Yeah, I mean, I think that obviously with everything being shut down due to lockdowns, the inability to experience the culture and maybe get on board with a bit of team bonding. You know, you can't go down to Akbar's for a giant naan bread with the lads. Do you know what I mean? You can't, you can't get the Guinnesses in at Yates's. You know, it's not something you can do at the moment, obviously. So maybe that is having an impact. I want to ask you, Jay, about Mikel Arteta. 
yeah. it seems like he's under absolutely no pressure, which is bizarre because for a club as big and as prestigious as Arsenal to be tenth in the Premier League and having an indifferent season, to put it kindly, seems bizarre to me. I mean, Ole Gunnar Solskjaer, you'll know very well that he's seemingly constantly under a bit of pressure and constantly getting critics. But I guess that's part of the territory when you're the manager of a club like Manchester United. But then again, you go to the other end of the scale and you see Frank Lampard, who's a club legend and got sacked by Chelsea. You know, Arsenal are no doubt a big club in this country. So what's going on with Arteta? Is the wool being pulled over our eyes a little bit? Um, Well, it depends on sort of where you're talking about where the pressure's coming from. You know, in the media... Can be tends to be you know quite a little bit kinder towards certain managers. The fans may be sort of kinder towards Mikel Arteta because he's an ex-Arsenal f- player, but the the board or the owners may be like looking at him, thinking you know what you need to do better than this. You need to improve, and we need to get Champions League football or at the very least Europa League football. So it depends where that pressure was coming from. With Arteta, I always felt, and I've said this, I think me last time me and you were chatting, I said it. Um, the, winning the FA Cup, I thought, was massive. To come into a club like that, and I'm, you know, a bit old school fan. I think silverware is the one for me. I know mm. clubs need Champions League football, and I get that top four finish can sort of be massive in terms of revenue and attracting better players. But there's nothing better for me as a fan than seeing your club actually lift the trophy. Do you know what I mean? So for for him to come in and win the FA Cup, I thought, and the manner he did it as well, beating some of the teams that he beat, obviously like Manchester City, Chelsea, and that. It, mm. I thought it was a, f- a fantastic achievement. Maybe that bought him a little bit more time this season. Because he's like, all right, I've, you know, we should be kicking on. We're not quite kicking on, but I've still won something. I'm still a club, you know, I wouldn't say a club legend. I think that's a bit of a stretch, but I'm still an ex-player that was highly regarded. Yeah. And also the fact that, as you've mentioned there, the signings he's made kind of makes sense. Thomas Party, I'll be honest with you, I was quite jealous of that signing. Yeah. I would have took Thomas Party at Manchester United and I felt, was it a £50 million buyout clause? Mm. I thought it was doable for, for, for United and, you know, it just didn't happen. So I, when I looked at that sign, I thought that's a good signing. Um, the other lad, Gabriel, we were linked with as well. He, 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 I thought that was a good signing. I know he's, he's, um, he wasn't a, a recent signing, but I think Kieran, T- Kieran Tierney, sorry, who's not been there that long, but he's a good player. I think my point is, I think they've got like, the signings that he's made and some of the players they've got, I think you can see moving forward, it can work. I just don't feel it is working at the minute. Mm. The only issue I would have if I was an Arsenal fan, well, not the only issue I've had, I've had lots of issues if I was an Arsenal <laughs> fan, but the, the, the main concern I'd have sort of moving forward, this team to me looks like maybe in two or three years it could get there and it could be challenging, but the problem then you've got is in two or three years, uh, Aubameyang is going to be what 33, 34 yeah. so is he going to be sort of the player that he is now or are you going to have to replace him and one of the most difficult things is replacing a, a goal scorer I know he had a bit of a barren patch this season but he started to find his goal scoring form again mm. they rely on him quite heavily for goals someone like Saka is he going to step up I'm not so sure he is so that's the sort of contradiction that Arsenal have got but in answer to your, your original question I think the FA Cup win bought him a little bit of time and I think there's a feeling that they had this horrible spell Arsenal this season and they came out of it and now they're sort of turning it around but if come the end of the season he's in 10th and he hasn't won anything I think there'll be serious questions being asked of Mikel Arteta I think you're right Jay and I'm probably with you in terms of winning a trophy for me as a fan it takes precedent over a decent league finish I mean I think back to you know like Burnley for example when they got into the Europa League in 2018 you know they played I think Aberdeen and Istanbul and then they didn't even make it to the group stages because they were knocked out you know they played two qualifying games and okay yeah great you finished eighth once but would Burnley fans have rather won the League Cup I reckon they would have done and even um, if you rewind to Claude Puel at Leicester finished seventh or whatever it was for Leicester which was a great achievement and he got sacked 
Whereas yeah. if he had won the FA Cup, maybe they would have stuck with him for a little bit longer. Anyway, we, we don't know for certain. Um, Arsenal against Tottenham, North London derby, 4.30pm kickoff on Sunday in the Premier League. Talking to Leicester, they take on Sheffield United, 2 o'clock on Sunday this weekend in the top flight. Brendan Rodgers has done an amazing job at the King Power Stadium for me. Especially this season, considering that if Rodgers keeps him in the top four tie with the injuries that they've had to the likes of Madison, Pratt, Justin, Barnes, Evans, Fafana, Soyuncu, Perez, even Jamie Vardy, they've all had time out of the team for whatever reason for decent lengths of time this season. How much credit should he get for achieving what he tried to do last season but couldn't quite cling on to? Yeah, he should get an awful lot of credit. And I think he deserves a lot of credit as well for the way they started and, and have sustained it so far this season. You know, last season they were in they were in the top four for a long, long time last season, and they kind of gradually fell away from from the second half of the season onwards, and obviously lost out on the final day. And I think it would have been very easy at that point for for that team and those players to kind of let their heads drop and think, you know, this might have been our chance to get top four and and Champions League football, and we've blown it. And you know, you fall away in what is a very difficult season as well. But to have come back and, and started the season as well as they have done, they were in the title race for a little while. They're well in contention for top four again. I think Rodgers and the players deserve immense credit for, for that when it would have been very easy for them just to you know gradually fall out of the top four picture and become maybe mm. a top eight club. And you know the fact they have sustained it and they are in the conversation again, you have to think they are becoming uh, you know this big six phrase when Arsenal are in tenth. You know Leicester are more of a big six club than Arsenal are at the moment and, and showing yeah. more consistency and. I think you know. I I think Rogers is is a fantastic manager. I think he was, you know. I think his, his the good stuff he did at Liverpool gets forgotten in the way it ended. I think his success at Celtic is easy to overlook, given it was in Scotland. What he's doing now is fantastic. He's improved a lot of those players, and you know I think he deserves immense credit. I like I say a lot of those injuries are, are current injuries, and it does feel like mm. you know, every club's had an injury crisis this season because of the schedule. But theirs is arriving at a bad time and. If the same thing happens again and they're in the top four all season and miss out in the final couple of games, I think that'll be a, a really bitter pill to swallow for them. And yeah. you know, I don't think I don't think they deserve that really. So hopefully they will cling on. But I, I do fear for them at the moment that they are being robbed of a bit of momentum and, and these injuries mm. are coming at, at a very bad time. Yeah, Brendan Rodgers, I think, has done an exceptional job to keep the team ticking over and keep the team picking up results when those key players have been out. The latest two to fall by the wayside, Jay, if that's the right term, James Madison and Harvey Barnes. And I wanted to ask about Harvey Barnes because I feel really sorry for him because I think he was in the form of his career and uh, he's picked up a, a nasty injury at a real terrible time of the season because there were some people even suggesting that he might be creeping his way into Gareth Southgate's thoughts for an England call-up. So sad to see Barnes go down injured, but um, Leicester really do have their issues when it comes to fitness. Yeah, no, I completely agree with you on the Harvey Barnes front. Whenever I've seen Leicester this season, um, he's been exceptional and I thought he'd have been you know, a, a great shout for, for um, Gareth Southgate for the England squad and England set up but it's just one of those things isn't it? And I, hope, I just hope for his sake you know, he comes back from it and he can sort of rekindle that form because no one mm. wants to see that Leicester have had these problems and it's sort of you know you both mentioned it earlier about the last season where you know they, they were riding high in third look nailed on and then it all went drastically wrong they had a quite a lot of injuries to deal with and then they ended up sort of bad. it wasn't until the, the final day I think they ended up in, in six going into the last game I think they played well they know they played United at, yeah. at the King Power and they could have stayed in the top four and they ended up finishing finishing outside it it felt like a bit of a kick in the teeth for them it must have felt like a bit of a kick in the teeth for them obviously I wasn't fussed as a United fan <laughs> but um, 
one thing I think was important for Leicester was the recent result against Brighton because mm. they'd had a couple of dodgy results, hadn't they? I think they got beat at home to uh, by Arsenal and then did they draw with Burnley? And then you think, oh, is it starting to unravel a little bit? They're getting injuries. You know, Brighton went ahead and you think, oh, this could be the sort of what we saw last season happening again where they're just going to mm. sort of fall apart and then they get the two goals, especially the, the last, the, the winner late on. Maybe that can be a bit of a... Not a, you know, turn their season around or anything because they're doing really well, but maybe that could be a massive point in their season. Yeah. Where you look at it and it could have gone one way and now it goes the other and they can build on that because mm. even with their injuries, they've still got some fantastic players. You know, you mentioned Jamie Vardy there. I love Indeed in midfield. I think he's a quality player. And Telemans as well. I think yeah, they fit in really well great, yeah. in another top s- team. Yeah, they, they, you're right. I think I'd, I'd happily take either of them at United and I think they work well, very well together as well. So they've got some quality there, even with their injuries and because of the fact that he came back against Brian and Brendan Rodgers, I'm complete with both of you guys on your Brendan Rodgers thoughts. I think he, he does get a little underrated, doesn't he, about what happened at Liverpool. And mm. everyone sort of looks at that Liverpool side, he's Liverpool as being almost it's all about Gerrard and the slip and the failure, not what he did with yeah. that team and the run that they went on, which was ridiculous. He was treated you know, like a meme for a while, wasn't he, yeah. Jay? Like with the whole, oh, you know, talking about character in post-match interviews and stuff. The, the, the envelopes and all that from the documentary. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Remember that? I've got these yeah. envelopes and, and all that nonsense. And, you know, you can, what was he, he said, that, I remember that saying, it was such David Brent, it was, you can live with a, you, you can live with a week without food, but you can't live with a day without hope. And I was like, oh my gosh, <laughs> this is just like, what are you doing? But you put all that to one side and you look at his results and the way he manages teams and the football they play. I have to add that as well because Brendan Rodgers' teams are entertaining. They're good to watch. You know, whenever you watch so the Scousers under him, Liverpool when it was manager, mm. Celtic or, or, or Leicester, or even going back to, you know, his early days at Swansea, they were exciting teams. Um, and you know he plays football the right way as as they like to say so I think Brendan Rodgers is a good manager I think they've still got enough about them and I think the result against Brighton means that um, Leicester can kick on well not kick on but maintain where they are and Mm. I think that you know this is probably the ideal fixture for them to do it in as well yeah well they can't afford a slip up Jay because with your boys Man United taking on West Ham who are both looking to finish in the top four this season and you know a three point gap to Chelsea in fourth who are also looking good and they take on Leeds I mean, it could unravel very, very quickly. Yeah, it, I mean, it could. You're right, and I speak from experience. I don't want to keep going about United, but obviously I know about United how you can take a, a result or a, a game for granted against um, mm. Sheffield United. But you'd fancy, I'd personally would fancy Leicester to, to win this one and, and to, yep. to maintain where they are in the top three because you know one thing they've got as well is those players will have that experience of last season, of what it was like to be in the top four practically the entire season. And that's something maybe they can take into games with them and that, you know, learning from it and having that sort of, that memory of it. Mm. And other teams like West Ham haven't really got that. Do you know what I mean? And even the Chelsea, I know Chelsea are always there or thereabouts, but they've had so many new signings that haven't got that experience of being in a Premier League sort of top four race, mm. if you want to call it that. So maybe that's something that Leicester can use to their advantage. Yeah, well, their opponents, Sheffield United, rock bottom of the Premier League table, 14 points, and now also managerless after they parted company with Chris Wilder on Friday. An interesting decision. Um, I think Paul Heckingbottom, the under-23 coach, will take charge uh, on a caretaker basis at Bramall Lane whilst they hunt for a new boss. I was disappointed more than anything, Ty, to see Chris Wilder leave the club because I think everyone knows 
how good a job he's done there, how much he loves the club. And it seems that there's been a bit of a breakdown in communication between owner and manager. And it's all fallen apart a little bit at the seams, which is a shame. What, what are your thoughts on the decision for Sheffield United to part company with Chris Wilder? Yeah, I mean, I think it's incredibly harsh as well. But, but like you say, it does seem to have been on the cards from from what we read from people well connected over there for a little while now. And it it seems it's more of an issue between the relationship between the, the new owner and Wilder rather than any kind of issue of, of on the pitch and, and what's happening on the pitch. They've obviously had a, an awful season. I think they've been really unlucky at times. Having watched them, it's you know it's a mystery how some of those games haven't gone for them. The fact mm. that they've only recently made sure that they're not going to be you know the worst Premier League team ever is incredible that it's taken them that long, really. You know, yeah. I, I was at the game at Old Trafford when they beat United and... You know, there's countless other games this season where you watch them and you think they've been excellent. And to have been in that conversation that they could be one of the worst Premier League teams ever for so long is, is incredibly unlucky, I think. Um, you know, the, I mean, the job he's done is just phenomenal, isn't it? The way he's taken that team from, mm. from League One to ninth in the Premier League. It's a fantastic story. And he's a Sheffield lad, he's a Sheffield United fan. You know, it, it, it's always been a fantastic story. And also, he's he, he's brought something interesting to the Premier League in, in terms of what he did tactically at, I think it was always going to be a challenge for him this season that last year, you can do all the analysis you want, but until you've played a team that played like Sheffield United with those overlapping fullbacks and how they play, it's difficult to replicate it and know what's coming. But once you've played it a couple of times, you're probably better drilled to know how to play against it. So I think there was always going to be a challenge in, in how does he adapt and, and can he adapt and it might not mm. work as well this season. Um, I don't think that's the sole reason they find themselves where they are. Like I say, I think they've been really unlucky and, and I wouldn't be placing too much of the blame on uh, at the door of, of Wilder and I think this is obviously about more than just results isn't it this second yeah. but you know, it, it's incredibly harsh and I can't imagine there's many if any Sheffield United fans who, who were pleased with it, it you know their, their chance of, of coming back to the Premier League is surely stronger with Wilder mm. as manager than it is with someone else I think you're right and I think the the effort levels and the endeavour from Sheffield United to try and get results has been there all season. It's just yeah. been a distinct lack of quality for them and unfortunately for them it does look like they're going to go down statistically as one of the worst Premier League sides. But I do think those sides in the bottom cluster um, in the Premier League in recent seasons have been getting better. I think about Norwich last season who I didn't think played too bad in terms of football that they played. They just didn't have the quality to compete in the Premier League and you know considering Sheffield United are going to go alongside Derby County who got I think 11 points the, the lowest total ever I mean Derby were abject that season um, and I fancy Sheffield United to comfortably beat that Derby side if there was ever a fantasy game between the two of them so you know I do think it's a little bit harsh um, it did feel though Jay like it was a bit of the transfer policy moving forward Chris Wilder said in his press conferences ahead of last week's games that conversations that were supposed to be happening at this stage of the season weren't happening and that he'd be happy to stick around and stay in charge of Sheffield United if the owners and the powers that be stuck to the plan. I think that the recruitment is what's kind of got on the nerves of Prince Abdullah, who's the Saudi owner of Sheffield United, because if you look at the money they've spent and the players they've spent it on, Sander Berger looks like an astute signing, but 20 million on Aaron Ramsdale, 20 million on Ollie McBurney, a similar amount on Rian Brewster. Uh, the recruit the recruitment lately has not really been up to par in the owner's eyes and that seems to be why the decision has been made to part company with Chris Wilder even though Wilder wants to or wanted to maintain autonomy over transfers him and the owner didn't really see eye to eye yeah um i mean listen i i'm retired you know i i think it is a bit of a shocking decision and on the surface it's a really stupid decision chris wilder always took them as as has been said from league 1 to 
you know, at one point where you know they were riding high in the Premier League last season and mm. sort of top half of the table for practically all of it. So you look in, you go, okay, they're having a disastrous season, but he would have been the man to take them back up. But when you're on a limited budget like Sheffield United are, and I know they've got money, they've not like they've not got any money, but they've they've spent that money. And, and when you look at the signings and you think, well, have those signings had the impacts or the brought in the quality that we want? Then I think it's not unreasonable to ask questions around that. And you look at the likes of, um, you know, McBurney and, and Rian Brewster mm. and how many goals they've got. I mean, it's 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 pretty grim reading. I think mm. Rian Brewster's got no goals. Um, I think I know McBurney came in a little earlier. Was I think he's got one goal this season. There's um, some of the other signings, like you know, they're, they're okay. They look like mm. they're useful, but you have to ask yourself: Have these been had the impact? So have these? Is this money been invested as well as it could have been? And yeah. I think you, as a manager, you have to live and die by that if you're going to bring in players. And then at the end of all that, mm. you know, you're rooted to the bottom of the Premier League with strikers that aren't scoring goals and a defense that's leaking goals. Then. You know, it's sort of it is a bit of a difficult one to to justify and just say, well, you know, look at what I've done in the past, and I'm the right man to get to get us back up. Mm. I don't know what the conversations have been. He may have felt that you know what, give me a little bit more money, and and we can turn this around next season. Norwich, as you mentioned there earlier, they had a similar season last season. Although I know they had more points than Sheffield United have got this season, but they're looking you know like a team that can bounce straight back. Mm. Maybe Chris Wilder felt that that was on the cards. For, for Sheffield United with the right sort of backing and maybe the owners thought well you know what we have backed you and yep. these signings haven't worked out so I can see it from both sides but I think you know if you were to ask, press me for you know do I think this is the right decision just from the outside looking in absolutely not I think he's, Chris Wilder has been very mm. hardly, harshly treated Well the blades are going down I don't think there's any doubt they'll be playing championship football next season but I was just wondering whether you think we'll see Wilder back in the Premier League before we see Sheffield United back in the Premier League Jay Um I'm not so sure. I don't. Sometimes you get a manager and a club and a, a team that's just right for him. Um, and I, I hope I'm wrong because I like Chris Wilder. I think he's good box office with his interviews. He's got that honesty and that sort of down to earthness. He'll just answer any question sort of thrown at him, and he seems to answer them quite honestly and, and quite straightforwardly. And I like that about a manager. I like, like you said, you know, the way he played football, especially last season. Um, but and he has, you know, he's got a decent track record. Obviously, like I said, taking Sheffield United up from League One to the Premier League. But sometimes you have, and they're completely different managers. But I'm sort of use that analogy of you know, like someone like an Ian Holloway, mm. where you have him at a certain club and he brings him into Premier League. And it's great box off. Everyone likes him, and then you know they get relegated or he leaves, whatever, and he sort of kicks around the Championship and League One. Maybe that's going what, what's going to happen with Chris Wilder. I hope I'm wrong. I hope Chris Wilder takes over another club, has success and brings them back into the Premier League or brings them into the Premier League or even gets a job at a Premier League club because, like I said, I think he's good box office. But I'm not so sure that's what we're going to say. Yeah, I do wonder where we'll see Chris Wilder pitch up next. They take on Leicester, do Sheffield United, 2pm Sunday. The evening kickoff on Sunday, 7.15pm start, is at Old Trafford, Manchester United against West Ham. We kind of spoke just briefly before we started recording the show about how United looked lethargic and slow and just not with it against AC Milan in the Europa League midweek tie. It was a 1-1 draw at Old Trafford. What do you put that down to? I've seen a few reports and some suggestions that it was the defensive midfield combination. Emmanuel Matic has started a couple of games lately for Manchester United in that two-man pivot in midfield um, when often I think Solskjaer's preferred combination is McTominay and Fred. I don't know whether that's a, a fair assessment to kind of label United's poor performance at just a single 
position on the field. But um, it'd be interesting to get your take on things. Yeah, I, I wouldn't blame the entire performance on the midfield. I think they were they were poor all across the pitch. Really, they, they were they were second best and. We have to give credit to AC Milan that they were very enterprising mm. and, and played very well and were, you know a really impressive side considering they've got as many injuries as United. But I think the midfield is a real issue at the moment. Um, I think it was the same against Crystal Palace when when Solskjaer played Matic and Fred. He played Matic and McTominay last night, and it just doesn't feel like they're getting good enough quality ball into Fernandez and, and the front three really. And when you play in Matic alongside one of Fred and McTominay, it, it almost feels like you're playing six six people defensively and, and four attackers and it yeah. doesn't feel like a team that's working in tandem when that when those players are playing it feels like they're almost two separate entities trying to one trying to do the goals the other trying to stop the goals to put it in mm. in simple terms I think you can get away with playing Matic alongside someone like Pogba I think that that combination has obviously worked pretty well um, Pogba's unavailable at the moment and it just yeah. feels like Matic and Fred or Matic and McTominay is just too too negative a, a double pivot, really. I don't think you need both of them in there. I think it puts too much pressure on Fred and McTominay, who aren't particularly creative players anyway, to to offer something. And it's clear, you know, it was clear last night, it was clear against Palace that that, that is a major issue for, for Charles Scott. Obviously, it's not helped having Pogba injured. Yeah. Van der Beek touched on slightly before. He, he's not had a good season and he's out at the moment as well. So, you know, I don't think it was the, the sole issue, but while you can get away with... Uh, you know, a midfielder, Fred and McTominay, for example, would work in, in the derby. They, they were good in the derby and they do what's required against a team like Man City. When you bring in Matic for one of them and you're playing at home, I just don't think they give United enough. And it does feel like there's been this kind of issue around the balance of that mm. midfield all season and, and getting it right. And it felt like United were getting there with, with Pogba in one of the deeper roles. Since his injury, they've regressed again. And obviously, we don't know what, what his future holds. So... You know, long ter- short term and long term, really, it does feel like it's an area that, that might need looking at. But mm. whether they're looking at it this summer, it's hard to know because you can probably say that about central defence and centre forward as mm. as well for United. So I do think, you know, I think the midfield was a problem against AC Milan. Maybe not the the problem that that led to the one one draw. I think there was other issues at play, but certainly when Matic plays alongside one of McTominay mm. and Fred, I think we're seeing that it, it does create problems for that side. Yeah, you can't blame the Manu Matic for Harry Maguire shinning a one-yard attempt onto the poster, <laughs> can you really, to be fair? Definitely not, um, no. I'll tell you who did play well, considering he scored Manchester United's goal, Ahmad Diallo. Um, there's just so much confidence in that young kid, Jay. I was covering his first game in Manchester United Colours against Liverpool, an under-23 game, where he scored a Penenka penalty as well. <laughs> I mean, the, the lad's got a bit of confidence, a bit of arrogance, and with a bit of an injury problem at the moment, Rashford out, Cavani out, Van der Beek out. I mean, do you think we might see Solskjaer hand him a start against West Ham? Yeah, we were doing our preview on the channel um, on Friday, and I picked the Arlo because of the injuries we've got to start. I think, you know, we've it looks like Marshall is a lot of the players you've just mentioned, you know, Marshall, Cavani and Rashford all doubtful. Looks mm. like Greenwood again could like similar to the second half against Milan could end up with Greenwood leading the line, maybe Dan James on the left and Diallo on the right. Um you know, from what I've seen of Diallo, I've only seen a little bit of him from Manchester United at obviously under twenty three's level and when he came on against Milan. Looks a fantastic talent, obviously a very raw talent, long way to go. He's not played a lot of professional football. He's barely, you know, he barely played for Atalanta, um, mm. and he's only played a, you know, like the the, the, the brief game, the, sorry, the half for, for Manchester United as well. But we spoke to, we had him um, Fabrizio Romano on the channel a couple of weeks ago, and he he's obviously based in Italy, and he'd been speaking to people from Atalanta, and they, he said they were raving about him, and they were saying that United had 
done a very smart move in getting him quickly. I know he mm. costs up to 37 million euros or whatever it is, I think. But this, he said that he was surprised someone like a Juventus or someone didn't come in for him because he said that the Atalanta coaching staff and the players there think he's just going to go to the very top. Um, so, yeah, he's obviously a great talent. I think in answer to your question, you're right. I think we may see Diallo unless there is a little bit of a, a surprise with someone like a, you know, Marcus Rashford or maybe Marshall, you know, only having a bit of kidology in the actual outfit. But at the minute, without mm. the bare bones uh, in attack, and it, it worries me a little bit because Greenwood, I love him to bits, but, you know, he's got one Premier League goal this season. He's not having yep. a great season. And to be fair, he's having to feed off scraps a lot and do a lot of it himself. Um, Dan James, who's been playing well recently, you know, fair play to him. But again, if everyone's fit, is he in the team? Mm. And Ahmad Diallo, who's a very young player who's, you know, yet to play in the Premier League. So it's, it's you know, it's... it's it's going to be difficult for United if that is the case going forward with our attack against a team like West Ham, who are, you know, even without Jesse Lingard, because obviously he can't play, who are going to be a bit of a threat. Yeah, I, I tell you what, the surprise for me might come in the form of Joe Hugill, who did play for the under-23s on oh, Friday. But with a bit of a striker crisis, I wouldn't be surprised to see Ole Gunnar Solskjaer maybe call Hugill up to the substitutes bench, considering you can now have more subs, of course, in the Premier League than you could do in recent seasons due to the changes in the rules. Would, I don't think go, we'll see him play. Would you play. go with him over McNeil? Yeah, uh, I think so. Yeah, I think so, yeah. He's just a bit bigger, a bit stronger. Yeah. He's played more 23s football and uh, I think that he's probably the next in line. Um, although McNeil scored something stupid like 600 goals yeah, at academy it's, level. It's, it's ridiculous. <laughs> so, I, thought, I thought it was a misprint when I read that. I was like, what? What is this? Does that mean 60? No, it's 600. Well, well, United have got another lad as well they signed from Barcelona called Mark Gerardo, who's a right back, who holds the record for the fastest ever goal in youth football where he scored after five seconds for Barcelona under 10s. Um, I'm not sure an under 10 go- I'm not sure an under 10 game particularly counts, but still, um, it's a decent record to hold, isn't it? I'm not sure how David Moyes would be feeling about this game great job in charge of West Ham this season I mean they're not fading away a lot of us said that they might ebb away at this point in the season but they're still banging with a shout of top four qualification how keen do you think he will be to win this game and kind of prove a point almost against his old employers yeah I'm sure that will, will enter his mind I mean he, you know every time he, he plays United he always brings up the fact that he didn't he feels he didn't get enough time at Old Trafford um, and I'm sure he will want to to get that elusive win against them and Really, you've got to say this is probably as good a chance as they're going to get. West Ham should be absolutely licking their lips at coming to United and, and playing a team who, like we say, are looking at a front three probably of James Greenwood and Ahmad. There's going to be mm. so little at attacking resources. If you think Pogba, Van der Beek, Mata, Rashford, Cavani, Martial, probably all out. You know, Maybe your only attacking substitutions will be Chortere and, and, like we say, possibly Hugel. So West Ham should be looking at that and thinking this. You know, if we approach this with the right mentality, this is there for the taking. But mm. I feel like Moyes' issue has always been that, you know, he almost talks his teams out of these games against big sides. It, his approach to them is always negative. It's, it always feels fearful. It, it goes back to his days at Everton where his record against the big six was, especially away from home, was woeful. Um, I don't think it's improved particularly. I mean, mm. to give them their due, they did beat Tottenham recently and they gave City a good game yeah. recently. But generally, it feels like they're, they're pretty... You know, it, it feels like their approach is a negative one in this in these games, and it feels like it comes from the manager. And I think back to when they played Liverpool back in was it January maybe, mm-hmm. and it was a Liverpool then that that looked absolutely for the taking. And Moyes just spoke spoke you know talked them up in the build up and made it seem like they were facing the team that got ninety nine points last year and and not the team who were on a terrible run. And mm-hmm. Liverpool ended up winning. And you know, I, I think a lot of United fans can 
we'll share the the feeling that Moyes is, you know, when he speaks, is, is a dour, negative manager. And I think he should be looking at it thinking this is there for the taking. But it wouldn't surprise me if he was looking at it and going, oh, well, it's still yeah. Manchester United. They've still got fantastic players. <laughs> you know, the usual stuff. And yeah. suddenly you put the fear of God into his, his players when they should be they should be approaching it and thinking we can be a match for these. So, yeah. you know, it is an opportunity for West Ham. But I think that's always been, been Moyes' weakness that they don't, they don't play these games as equals. Yeah, do you know what? I think the recent FA Cup game between West Ham and Manchester United is probably a good example of what you've just said, where it felt like David Moyes was really flustered on the touchline and exasperated. And, you know, he yeah. was subbing players on and then subbing them back off again <laughs> you know, after like 20 minutes and stuff like that. So um, I do think that he probably sometimes, if he does want to win a game, it would be this one. And, you know, even though we sometimes talk about players trying too hard to force an issue, I think that you can do that sometimes from the touchline as well anyway the Hammers after Manchester United they've got Arsenal Leicester Newcastle Chelsea Burnley and Everton as their next six games so it would take a big effort in those bigger games especially against the likes of Leicester and Chelsea for them to qualify for the Champions League Manchester United versus West Ham Sunday 7.15pm kickoff time to take a break here on Football Social Daily but stick around because afterwards we'll be talking about the rest of the weekend's Premier League fixtures Football Social Daily. Subscribe to the podcast now so you never miss an episode. Listen to the latest Premier League news, updates and match reports now. Just ask Open Sport Social. Welcome back to Football Social Daily, the daily Premier League podcast from Sport Social. Make sure you hit subscribe and that way you won't miss an episode of the show again. New shows right throughout the Premier League season, including tomorrow where Fergal Brennan and the gang will be looking back across the weekend's Premier League results. Time to talk about Fulham against Manchester City, which is the Saturday 8pm kickoff at Craven Cottage. If Scott Parker keeps Fulham up, Jay, does he yeah. need to be in the conversation for manager of the season? I think he can be in a conversation. Yeah, I don't know if you get it, but certainly it'll be a phenomenal achievement. I mean, not many people, maybe even myself included, um, earlier this season gave Fulham much of a chance. It's not exactly like they spent loads in the transfer window. You know, obviously the way they came up as well, you know, the teams yeah. that come up that way usually tend to struggle in the Premier League. But he's been going about his business and, Scott, and what Scott Parker's done at Fulham is he's made them sort of difficult to beat. They picked up a lot of draws now, that was sort of their undoing a little bit, was the fact that I think, again, I think last time I was on me and you having this conversation, I was like, you know, they can't keep drawing these games. They need to start turning some of these results into wins yeah. and there to have any chance of staying up. And that's kind of what they've done a little mm. bit. Mm. You know, they've picked up a couple of wins in the last, I think, is it one, two out of the last four? So that's decent enough. And the fact that they are difficult to beat as well. So they're always going to be good for the odd point or two. And if you can get a couple of wins... Especially when you look at a team like Brighton, who was just above them, who are uh, approaching free-fall mm. tackle. Yeah. On and a, if, they, if they beat City, which is probably yeah. very unlikely that yeah. they get anything from the game. But if they do, that cranks the pressure up onto Brighton. And we'll talk about Brighton in a second because they'll go above them. So it's yeah. a bit of a psychological boost for Fulham, isn't it? Just to see themselves above the dotted line after being in the bottom three for so long. If they beat City, they'll just think, right, you know what, we can beat anyone. You know, I mean, I know, like you say, it's a massive if, and I don't think it's going to happen for one minute, but that would be a massive sort of lift for them and give them a chance. Mm. This, to me, for, for Fulham, it's almost like a free hit, to be honest with you. No one's going to expect you to beat Manchester City. I know it obviously is at Craven Cottage, and you should be trying to trying to be it, win all your home games, but City is such a phenomenal team this season that it's going to be extremely difficult. If they get anything out of this game, it'll be a, a massive plus. And, and Scott Parker, can, I'm guessing he could say to his players, if they lose, listen, it was City, they're going to win the league. It's not the end of the world. We, you know, it was always going to be a bit of an ask 
we, we, we go again sort of thing. Mm. Whereas if you look at Brian and maybe even you can stretch to Newcastle a little bit as well, the form they've been in recently, those two clubs, yeah. would give me a bit of hope of as a Fulham fan where I think, you know what, things are coming together a little bit. We've got a manager that, you know, seems to know what he's doing and seems to be getting the best out of these players. So we've every chance of staying up and whether mm. you're Brighton and maybe Newcastle as well, you're looking at going, things are going drastically wrong and all going to get to them teams later. Yeah. So yeah, I, I think Scott Parker has done a very good job at Fulham this season and I think you're right, I think if he does keep them up, he should be in a conversation for a manager of the season, especially if he gets a win against Manchester City this weekend. Yeah, if Fulham do beat Manchester City, I want Andy Tate on Stretford Paddock saying that you're doing a title charge again. We need a we need said, a repeat. Listen, if, if Fulham get a draw, he'll probably say that. You know what he's like. <laughs> I want to hear him talking about title charges. Um, talking of title races, Ty, uh, Guardiola and Gundogan have won the February Manager and Player of the Month awards for the Premier League, respectively. I mean, was this title race ever really a race? It felt like it was for about three weeks and then all of a sudden City just came roaring through. Still 10 games to go and the season feels over. It feels like City to lose right now yeah it does and you know in December it did feel like it it was a title race where there was probably a dozen teams in it and I think I think I said it when I was on around December time maybe that any team who put together a run of maybe half a dozen consecutive wins in a title race yeah. would would go and be favourites and City put together 15 so you know that's that's going to end the conversation pretty sharply I think this season um you know I, yeah on this form there was only ever going to be one winner I think United were in the conversation if we're talking 82, 83 points to win it, but City are going to win it with 90s again, and I don't think United were ever going to be able to get to 90 points this season. The frustration for United will be the fact that they fell away pretty meekly after going mm. top on, on January the 12th, but no one can live with City on this form when they're stringing together 15 successive wins in a season where everyone's playing twice mm. a week. Obviously, they've got the squad that can cope with that, but they have coped with with injuries to De Bruyne. They've had no contribution at all from Aguero. So, yeah. you know, I, I think they deserve immense credit, really, for the way they've the way they've the success they've had this season. And you know, I don't think I was alone in wondering if this was a challenge too far for Guardiola back in September, October time after the Leicester loss, the defeat to yeah. to Tottenham. It, it did feel like this was something he'd never done before in kind of rebuilding a, a team. He'd he'd always gone out on a hire at Barcelona and Bayern. He'd never had a team that. He built a success that suddenly struggled and there was obvious issues that, that weren't being fixed. But he, he's managed to fix them and they do look a, a phenomenal team now. And, mm. you know, it, it, it's almost fearful that they, they might well sign ha- Haaland and be in the, the market <laughs> for Haaland this summer. And if you think of putting Haaland in that team, you wonder how anyone would ever beat them again. Um, so <laughs> on, on current form, yeah, they're, they're a free. You know, United did a, a superb job on them last week and, you know, United were excellent in that game. But... I think on, on this form and stringing together 15 straight wins, no one was going to live with City this season. No, I think it's a fair point. We have waxed lyrical about them, and especially considering they do have, I don't think, no new injury worries either. I think Nathan Ake's returning to fitness slowly for City, so it does look like it's theirs to lose at the moment. They take on Fulham at Craven Cottage Saturday, 8pm kickoff, and Fulham will be keeping a close eye on this game that kicks off uh, on Sunday at 12pm. Southampton against Brighton. For me, Jay, a bigger game for Brighton for the reasons you've outlined only a few minutes ago. They'd be out. They are currently only out of the bottom three on goal difference. So if they go down, do you think they've only got themselves to blame? I mean, they were unlucky first day of the season against your lot, United, with some of the hitting the woodwork and VAR decisions and all the rest of it. But they've missed so many chances this season. They missed two penalties in a game a couple of weeks ago, then had a dodgy refereeing decision go against them. So it feels like, in in a sense, they've shot themselves in the foot at times this season. Yeah, I mean... 
they've had, you know, they, they create chances. They just um, don't finish them. They just don't finish them. And, you know, they, they, you look at it, um, like some of the things you've seen, you mentioned the game against Manchester United at the Woodwork five times. There was the game the other week where they got two penalties. And, uh, you know, Danny Welbeck, who I actually love, took the most Danny Welbeck penalty ever where he took it, hits the post, bounces off him and goes out. And it's like, you know, that's when you know your luck is just not in. Then they had obviously, you know, like you just say, it just seems like drama. I mentioned the Leicester game the other day where it's a last-minute goal they concede. They just, they're not having the rubber of the green. They aren't, but they have to be more clinical in front of goal. And that's what, what they're just not able to do. They just don't have the players, it seems, who can score goals for them. Um, and, you know, fair play to them. They've stuck to the guns in terms of the football they play. And Brighton, they are a, a team that, despite not scoring many goals, are, are sort of enjoyable to watch in some of the, 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 the way they play football and the way that Graham Potter sets them up. But mm. they're almost like, for me, Brighton feel like a team that you can admire and almost like because they're so inoffensive and so sort of uh, unthreatening. It's like you play Brighton, you beat them, they play nice football. Mm. You know, you pat yeah. them on the head and you move on. <laughs> do you know what I mean and I know, I know I'm not trying to be disparaging but the results don't like you look at the, the results they've had how many times have you know you've said it yourself and Tyler said it where you'll go look at it and go Brighton played really well today did they win no they got beat no, yeah, do you know exactly, what I mean it's yeah. like every week and no one's going to turn around next season when they're in a the championship and go they're in a the championship but they play great football in the Premier League it's, that doesn't matter it's, it's about staying up and it's about sometimes just digging in and winning ugly, and I don't mm. think they've got that in their locker. They don't seem to be able to do that, and they they sort of got away with it last season. Last season was similar. There was a yes, time I think they yeah. came to Old Trafford where we saw them apart, and I think I can't remember. I think it was something like four one or whatever. Mm. But they carried on playing that way, even though when they were three goals behind, they didn't change. They didn't try to shut up shop or you know defend as a sort of in uh, in numbers or whatever. They carried mm. on playing this sort of nice open attacking football, and you sort of again you you admire it, but you take all three points off him. And I think that's going to be their undoing because you look at the run they've had and, and the, the trajectory they're on, they're only what, are they, are they level with Fulham now? I know they've got a game in hand. Yeah, I mean, it's goal difference, that's all it is, separating from the relegation yeah. zone, yeah. And and if you're a, a sort of a, a Brighton fan, or even if you're a Brighton midfielder or whatever, a player and you, you know, you're giving these strikers opportunities and they're just not finishing them, it's just very, it must be very difficult to keep going when it's like that. And I do a feel for them because, like you say, you know, like we've all said, you can admire them, but they, they just need to start scoring goals. It really is. I don't mean to make the argument so simple, mm. but it's it, it, with them it is. They create loads of chances. They just don't score them. If you're into your XG and all that sort of stuff, <laughs> you know, which anyone who knows me knows I'm not, but I'm reliably informed that in terms of the, the chances they create, that, you know, they'd be comfortably in the top half of the table. You yeah. just can't finish them. Do you, talking of XG... Did you hear Graham Potter mug off our old friend Statman Dave on uh, on the radio the other week? No, I wish I did. Well, what did he say? I would have, I would have recorded that one if I'd have heard that. Was Graham, it, is, he not, is he not a big fan? Graham Potter was in an interview um, and and Dave went, I'm Statman Dave. And he went, I'm football manager Graham. <laughs> and then, and then, uh, and then he, he asked, Dave asked, I love Dave, by the way, he's a good friend of mine, so yeah, I hope yeah. he doesn't mind me saying this. Um, and uh, Dave said, do you take notice of XG at all? And Graham Potter just went, no. 
that was it. <laughs> that wow. was it. Just completely oh, closed wow. him down. So, I've had them uh, interviews before with a one-word answer. It's never a good look. It's never nice. <laughs> it's um, probably for the best that the Brighton manager doesn't take notice of XG really as well, isn't it? Given, uh, yeah. given their Ima- record. Imagine that how that regard. conversation would have gone, yeah. Tight would have been, uh, you should be scoring more goals. Yeah. Yeah. Like, yeah, imagine, yeah, it could I have know, been mate, violently if, if Dave was trying to sort of <laughs> <laughs> get his stats out and tells him where he's going wrong. <laughs> the, they, dimen- um, the dimension I mean, of his new mod haircut. Yeah. If they do go down, then you know you you just play that game they had against Crystal Palace at home a couple of weeks ago on loop, and that'll be why they've they've gone down. It was for a yeah. neutral, it was one of the most comical games of football you'll you'll ever see. And I think they had thirty odd shots, and Crystal Palace had two touches in their penalty area, and and Palace yeah. won. And it just sums up everything about about Brighton. Yeah, and then the week after, Ty, they missed two penalties and yeah. then Lewis Dunk scored a free kick, which the referee decided wasn't a goal. So, yeah, definitely <laughs> oh, moments just, in yeah. their season. Their opponents, Southampton on Sunday, one win in 11, and that was against Sheffield United on Monday, the bottom side in the league. They're in woeful form. How does a manager, Ty, go about restoring confidence when you're when you're when you flatline like Southampton have? At least Jurgen Klopp the other day had the Champions League with Liverpool to kind of switch up the focus, even though their Premier League form has taken a real nosedive. Southampton don't have that luxury. So how does Hasenhurtle go about kind of getting the players uh, back off the floor and getting them to go again? Because unless they win a game, it feels like it's going to be tough for that to happen. Yeah, yeah, it does, I guess. Uh, I mean, if any manager knows how to do it, then I guess it's the one who's survived his team losing 9-0 in successive seasons. He, you know, he should be the expert in picking players' chins up off the floor and <laughs> after those games. I mean, it, it almost feels at the moment there are like a little bit of a Dulux Brighton from, from what Jay was saying, that they, they play very nice football. They give you a good game, apart from when they're down to 10 men at Old Trafford. And then you beat them. You beat them and then you say, God, aren't Southampton a good, tie, a good team? Aren't they good to watch and, and do interesting things? But fundamentally you just beat them and you know that they, they are a good team it feels like they've got good players they have been good to watch but it, they are having a terrible run of things at the moment you know there seems to be no word that Hassan Utl's under pressure and that's probably the right decision but you know his, his reign there is a bit of a bizarre one with with those nine nils in successive seasons and as good as the football is that they played they have had injuries this year it really does feel like with that team they you know they probably should be a top half team I mean it was not that long ago that we were considering whether they should be in in you know in that title race that we were talking about in October and November and top four race at least, but they have fallen off a cliff. I think they've got no wings again at the moment. We know how important he has he is yeah. to them. Um, I think and when I want to watch him, I think Shea Adams is is a brilliant footballer. Apart from when it comes to to putting the ball in the back of the net and mm. playing as a striker, that's quite a big part of of what he's supposed to do. Um, and that kind of sums them up, I guess. That they, they do mm. play really good football. They're a real pressing team. They are good to watch, but at the moment they just they just can't get over the line, and they're not winning mm. games, and that's going to be a major issue for them. Southampton Brighton Sunday, 12 p.m. kickoff. Talking of entertaining football, what about Leeds United? They play Chelsea Saturday, 12:30 start. Um, Leeds, I mean, they're going to hope to obviously get a result against Chelsea, as you would do in every game. But Chelsea have only conceded twice under Thomas Tuchel so far, Jay, and one of those was a penalty. Defensively, he's really got them looking solid. Can we expect Leeds to notch that tally up a little because we know how much, how many chances they tend to create in games? I think it's going to be difficult for Leeds. Um, they're another team that a lot of people can sort of look at and go, oh, you know, we admire them, but unlike Brighton and Southampton, they, you know, they are capable of, of getting some decent results and the sort of, you know, it shows that I think they're in mid-table um, so they're not obviously the nature of the beast they're not very consistent but they're always capable of getting a result mm. and they always stick to the guns everyone loves Bielsa don't they he's like the most popular manager 
in the history of association football, the way everyone goes on about him and <laughs> raves about him and Pep loves him and other managers love him and all sort of these neutral fans love him um, and, and the way he plays football and the, the job he's done. And Leeds are entertaining to watch. And, you know, as a, as a United fan, I don't want to keep bringing it back to United, but that's what I know most about. You know, you saw it against the, uh, United at Old Trafford where no matter what, they just kept going for it. And it was it was a very entertaining game. But Chelsea have been a different beast under, under Thomas Tuchel. Mm. Whereas under Lampard, you felt that there was that sort of vulnerability, that there was certain players who could switch off. There were certain times where they just didn't turn up. He's got them really playing. He's been sort of almost ruling with... He's, I like the way he's balanced it because there's times when Tuchel, he seems like that friendly sort of arm around the shoulder manager and there's times when he can be quite harsh and mm. seems like a bit of a taskmaster. We all saw what he did with Callum Hudson-Odoi um, against Southampton, I think it was, when he brought him on and took him off because he wasn't happy with his, his intensity. So... You know he's he's certainly gone in there with his sort of ideals and it, and it's worked and I think Chelsea are, are ve- I know from from what I've seen them they're very difficult to break down very difficult to beat mm. and I I think this is going to be a difficult game for Leeds I'd, I'd fancy Chelsea for this one um, I think that whilst Leeds play great football and and they you know have had some good results they're not in a great run of form Leeds I think mm. they've won one out of the last five is it in the Premier League yeah um, whereas Chelsea have won I think they've won back to back wins. Um, yeah, they've not lost in the Premier League under Tuchel yet. So, well, there you go. That's that's yeah, that says it all, really, doesn't it? So you go in, you've got one team who's in very good form with a new manager who seems to have that thing where lots of players are still trying to impress him, and also he's been able to do that thing that Lampard couldn't do. A, a new manager can, where he's gone in, and if a new signing isn't performing, he can drop them because he hasn't bought that player. Whereas you felt. Lampard was sort of beholden to some of these things. Yeah, he's like, well, if you've just gone out and spent 70 million quid on this player, you've, you, you've got to explain why you're not playing him. Mm. Tuchel didn't need to do that. He came in and he started dropping players left, right, and centre and getting the best out of some of the others as well. So, yeah, I fancy Chelsea for this one. I think it'll be a, yeah. an interesting game, but I think they'll have too much for, for Leeds to cope with. Yeah, Havertz and Werner as well, just looking like they're starting to hit their straps finally yeah. for Chelsea. Saturday, 12.30 kickoff as the Blues travel to Ellen Road to play Leeds. Two more games to talk about. The next one, Everton against Burnley, half five Saturday. These are the sorts of games, Ty, that Everton are expected to win, but we've spoken about this on the show before. At Goodison Park, against some of the weaker sides this season, they haven't shown up. They lost to Fulham, they lost to Newcastle. So, you know, if they really do want to kind of cement themselves in the European places, Ancelotti said they need to be more consistent. These are the sorts of games against sides like Burnley that they'd be expecting to win. Yeah, definitely. You know that feels like the the next step for Everton. Obviously, they want to they want to Anfield a couple of weeks ago and, and ended that hoodoo. And it does feel like there's a really good team building there under Ancelotti. Richarlison's hit really good form at the moment. That front two playing him centrally with with Calvert Lewin. I mean, that's as probably as good a front two as you're going to get in the Premier League. And I think they can give defenses an awful lot of, of difficulties defensively themselves. They look pretty good. I think Michael Keane's a really good player. Ben Godfrey as well. I think he was a fantastic signing last summer. So yeah. I do think they're building a, a really good team there under Ancelotti. But like you say, it is the consistency and the pressure of, you know, the pressure of winning games you should win is has probably been something that's held Everton back for, for years, really, and that these, mm. are, these are games they slip up in. They, yeah. they should probably think, or they probably will think, they're still in the top four discussion this season. And to do that, they need to be beating Burnley. And they should certainly... One to a, you know, the, like we touched on before, this concept of the big six is, is dying really. But Everton should always have been the seventh team trying to push into that. And they should be establishing themselves as top six, top seven every season. And under Ancelotti, they, they probably can do that. And mm. you would think that they should have too much for Burnley. And, and they do need to start showing that consistency to, to put these teams away and, and do it comfortably. 
It feels like there's a really good vibe around Everton at the moment. Announcements around a new stadium that have been revealed in recent weeks. Um, they're due to move into that in a few seasons' time. Top-class manager in Ancelotti. Some great players in the likes of James Rodriguez um, too. It feels like it's a really positive mood around the camp at Goodison Park, something which wasn't really the case a few years ago when Ronald Koeman was in charge and then uh, patches under Marco Silva where things didn't quite feel right for Everton. So anyway, they take on Burnley 5.30 Saturday. Burnley only four points from safety, by the way. By the way, still time for them to get sucked into the mix. Uh, but it will be a, a trip to Goodison Park for Sean Dyche and his Claret side on Saturday evening. Final game, we've reached the end of the podcast. Final game, Crystal Palace versus West Brom. Of course, it's the last game on the agenda. 3pm kickoff on Saturday. Traditional kickoff slot for these two sides. I mean, what do you even say about this game? Um, the Crystal Palace against West Brom. I, I guess the only angle I could take from here, because I, I definitely won't be watching this game, Jay, is that Roy Hodgson's probably not going to renew his contract in the summer. He's likely to leave the club. Plenty of rumours around Eddie Howe possibly taking the reins at Crystal Palace. 13 players out of contract there, a rebuilding job on the cards. Chris Wilder is now also available too, as we've discussed um, earlier on in the show. I mean, what, what sort of angle do you think they'll go down? Because they tried to go down the more expansive route with Frank de Boer a few seasons ago. And after five games where they lost all of them, he got sacked. And then they went for Hodgson and they've kind of been stable ever since. So do you think they'll stick or twist, if that makes sense? Um, yeah, I mean, you know, you, the, the managers you've mentioned there, potentially Chris Wilder and Eddie Howe, have more or less been relegated, haven't they, from the Premier League? Um, I know Chris Wilder's obviously not been relegated, but that it was nailed on. That was where it was going. Um, so are there, are, there, are there either of those two the, the, the answer? I'm not so sure. Roy Hodgson, I felt he almost, I don't know, maybe I'm sort of downplaying what was expected, but I felt he exceeded expectations, Roy Hodgson. I think Palace, you've got no money, the, the, the limited resources, and even though we always sort of said about Crystal Palace, I mean, whenever I was on here last season, I think it was, I was like, oh, they'll, they'll, they're in a bit of a, I expect them to start plummeting down the table, and it never really happened, they sort of, were able to, to stay safe and stay relatively away from the relegation zone. And even this season, I know they're, what, eight points away from, from the relegation zone? But that's a big eight points when mm. you think about it. The, the teams that are down near the bottom and the, the amount of points they pick up. So there's a big cushion there. So I think Roy Hodgson's done, done pretty well there. So I feel like Crystal Palace may look it and they've had the likes of, is it Tony Pulis and managers like that in the past? They may mm. go for someone with a bit, bit of experience because... It's tended to serve them well, but no, I'm, I'm with you on this one, and this isn't one that I'll be setting my, uh, my Sky Plus for. <laughs> I think um, even if West Brom win tie, Big Sam's re- uh, relegation record or record of never being relegated, I think that's going to disappear, don't you? Yeah, I think it's the, the end of the road for that record. I was a little bit surprised he took the job, really. They, they didn't look a team that could stay off. Um, you know, the, that team and those players are championship players and especially the defence, which is the area that Allardyce relies on. You know, they've, they've got a championship defence, I think. Mm-hmm. So it's no great surprise that they're, they're probably going to go down. And you would wonder where, where Allardyce goes from here once, you know, once a manager with that reputation as being the great saviour loses, loses that tag and, and relegates yeah. a team. It, it's hard to see where his next move is, really. Absolutely. Watch Portsmouth play Salford City instead in the EFL Trophy final. How about you do that instead on Saturday if you're listening to this? Crystal Palace against West Brom, three o'clock kickoff on Saturday. And with that, we reach the end of the Premier League preview show here on Football Social Daily. Thanks very much, Jay. Thank you so much, Ty, as well. My name's Niall. Don't forget to hit subscribe. That way you won't miss a single episode of the podcast again. And don't forget, Fergal will be back with Football Social Daily on Sunday, looking back across all of the weekend's Premier League results. But that's it for now. And we'll catch you again soon here on Football Social Daily. Football Social Daily from Sports Social.
Find us on Facebook. Search Sport Social. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. It's time for today's Lucky Land Horoscope with Victoria Cash. Life's gotten mundane, so shake up the daily routine and be adventurous with a trip to Lucky Land. You know what they say. Your chance to win starts with a spin. So go to LuckyLandSlots.com to play over 100 social casino-style games for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Get lucky today at LuckyLandSlots.com. Available to players in the U.S., excluding Washington and Michigan. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply.